This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by Allstate, American General, The Hartford, John Hancock, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, today we're going to be talking about DRI, the voice of the defense bar, and also uh, exploring what defense attorneys should know about the settlement process. Joining me to help today is my colleague and co-host, Jim Early of New Hampshire. Jim is the Executive Vice President and National Sales Director at Ringler Associates and serves as a member of the Board of Directors. But of course, I remember Jim as a Rhode Island claim manager low those many years ago, and it's been quite a journey for both of us, hasn't it, Jim? I, you know, Larry, we are fast approaching 30 years. I was working in Providence, and you came down to visit me, and that was in 1983. You're scaring me now, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, our special guest today is attorney Matthew Cairns from the firm Gallagher, Callahan, and Gartrell of Concord, New Hampshire. Matt is the former president of DRI back in 2011, and of course, DRI is the largest international organization of civil defense lawyers committed to defending the interests of businesses and individuals in civil litigation. Matt joined Gallagher, Callahan, and Gartrell in 2008 after 22 years with Ransmeyer and Spellman, also in Concord. His practice focuses on defending the interests of individuals, businesses, municipalities, and insurers in both civil and administrative litigation. And Matt also teaches and writes on topics of Medicare reimbursement, electronic discovery, products liability, and a lot of other legal issues. You're a busy man, Matt. Welcome to Ringler Radio. Thanks a lot, Larry. Thanks. Good to talk to you, Jim. Thanks. Good to have you here, Matt. Terrific. Well, uh, Matt, tell us about your practice as a defense attorney. Give us a little bit of uh, background. Sure. I've been I've been out um, practicing law after law school for 26 years now. In fact, I just started my 27th year. All of it's been here in Concord, New Hampshire. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting place to practice law. You get the chance to do a little bit of everything. Unlike big city practice or some specialized boutiques, most New Hampshire defense lawyers uh, have their fingers in a lot of different pies. Mm-hmm. So I have had the honor of defending insureds in everything from dog bites and automobile accidents all the way up to catastrophic um, burn cases and other injuries. Mm-hmm. The word defense lawyer is also a bit of a misnomer. Um, when people hear that, they typically think of insurance defense lawyers. And defense lawyers nowadays do a lot of first party um, work on behalf of companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also represent companies directly, not through carriers, so self-insured entities, major corporations, or companies that, in fact, might have a high self-insured retention. And also, more and more on the commercial side of cases, you will see a defense lawyer on what is traditionally the plaintiff's side of the V um, in a non-personal injury case because 
civil litigation lawyers, particularly defense lawyers, are defending the interests of business. And sometimes those interests involve suing a competitor mm-hmm. who may be infringing on a trademark or intentionally interfering with business. So up here in New Hampshire, I have probably done every single one of those types of cases that I just described for you. Um, it's a varied practice. It's an interesting and exciting practice. Um, and I'm not sure I could do one type of case for my entire career. So I'm really glad to be up here at Gallagher right now. Matt, you've been nominated as one of the world's leading product liability defense lawyers and actually the only New Hampshire attorney listed in the international uh, who's who of business lawyers, uh, with the, particularly with uh, respect to product liability defense in 2012. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the cases you've been involved with uh, regarding product liability? Sure. Uh, first off, I, let me say it's a pretty humbling uh, honor to have received. Um, I mean, I to be called an, one of the top international folks is uh, daunting, particularly when I look at the list of other lawyers who are out there. So I was flattered to um, be told that I got that honor. Mm-hmm. The the cases, some of the the uh, more interesting products cases I've had up here, I was, it hasn't been um, in the recent years, but I have been actively involved in tobacco litigation in New Hampshire, uh, defending the interests of a couple of tobacco manufacturers on primary smoker cases as well as secondary smoker cases, uh, which is sort of an interesting role to be in since I am um, pretty anti-smoking and regularly tried to throw away my mother's cigarettes when I was growing <laughs> up. Um, but, you know, as they say, every everybody needs a defense, and I looked at it as an opportunity not so much to promote smoking, or um, but more so to you know, represent the client and the product case saying, this is an obviously hazardous product and you walked into it with your eyes wide open and um, so that that's that's those tobacco were, were fascinating to work on I was able to work with you know some of the best lawyers in the country who are the lead counsel for these companies um, that's interesting Matt how would you say you reacted to the way those cases went nationally generally were you, were you pleased even though perhaps they didn't go quite the way your clients might have wanted them to well I can tell you that in New Hampshire, um, every case resolved in favor of the defendants. Not a single plaintiff recovered uh, money in the New Hampshire case by way of verdict or settlement. Um, nationally, you know the cases that that hit big against the companies, um, they were in the jurisdictions where you would probably expect them to hit big, um, places where punitive damages and um, right. But do you think the pre- do you think the out, do you think the outcome generally in terms of changing the the nature of uh, how the country reacts to smoking and, and, and some of the new rules that have come down. It sounds like you embrace that as opposed to uh, the other way around. Yeah, I, I think that I think that the industry uh, was clearly going in the right direction since the 60s when the warnings got on the packs. Um, they have done research. They're, they're, they're acknowledging um, issues. The, com- the industry is doing all the right things. What the problem is, is that people are not, you know, people don't take personal responsibility for their choices. And that's the most troubling part of it for me to see these verdicts come down. I think the companies are, are doing everything that they can do. Um, I mean, it's still America, and you're not going to ban a legal product. But the education the company has been doing, I think, is the way to go. And I think more recently, jury verdicts are should be showing that. It, I still find it hard to hard to fathom how someone can say with their hand up and on a Bible 
that they didn't realize that cigarettes were dangerous or were addictive. Well, you know, it's interesting. You, know, you raise the issue of personal responsibility, and boy, that we see that in almost every uh, walk of life. Uh, where whenever there's any, whenever there's anything that happens that that could potentially cause some recovery, there typically is a way to get it, uh, just on the basis of. Uh, the wording wasn't right. The warning wasn't big enough. The, the letters weren't clear. You know, there's always a way to, to maybe get to it. So with that in mind, are we seeing more product liability lawsuits today? And uh, what's the uh, what's the atmosphere out there? Uh, uh, up here in New Hampshire, I'm seeing um, sort of a downward trend on the big products cases. I think, you know, Larry, you brought up a really good point about the warnings and the sizes of warnings. I've had two fairly significant cases. One was a, a bad burn case um, where the first the person who sued my client actually was a, a salesperson for the product. He knew you shouldn't use this camping stove inside a house, and it's a liquid fuel stove, but he still did it. Mm-hmm. And then he went ahead and sued saying that, you know, the product was defective and it exploded and sprayed fuel on him. And we, of course, contested that. But here's a guy who, um, to his credit, stood up and said, I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. I did it anyway. And that's not what caused my problem. It was a defect. But this, here's a guy who took personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. I just wrapped up another case where um, a fellow fell off the back of a golf car, um, a golf cart mm-hmm. that you'd see a two, the two bags what, usually go on the back. He was riding on the back, and the cart swerved, and he fell off. And his whole claim was, well, if you put a warning on the back of the golf cart telling me not to stand there, um, none of this would have happened, <laughs> notwithstanding the fact that there were warnings on the dashboard and on the steering wheel not to do that, and the fact that he was a bus driver and knew a school bus driver knew full well you don't stand up on moving vehicles. So you're still going to have people bringing the lawsuits. You're still going to have people looking for ways to recover or to blame somebody else and not themselves. But because of um, the increased emphasis on safety at all levels of product development, you are seeing fewer claims. You're seeing interlock guards on saws and other machinery so that they can't be removed, and if they're removed, the machine won't run. In the old days, you know, somebody would just take the guard off a printing press and because it was in the way. Um, now engineering is such that you're avoid, that that's going away. So I think that is helping promote the downward trend in products cases. You still are going to see them in the drug industry. That's always going to be a, out there, a growth industry, because we're, everyone's trying to find new pharmaceuticals. Uh, but in typical machinery and those types of appliances, I think warnings are real and redundant engineering is really causing a drop in some of those cases. Interesting. Hey, Matt, what's the standard for determining if there's actually a cause for a lawsuit involving a product? and is there a standard, or is it jurisdictional? Or well, it's it varies. You you can on a products case. There's defective design. There's defective manufacture. There's defective warning. Um, there's alteration of product. There are a lot of different theories people can bring in on the products case. They are typically uh, developed in the state law context. So there's no real national standard, although you could look at the restatement of torts, which is the overall guidance for the country on the legal theories. But those are probably the, the three or four top ways you'll see a case brought, a products 
situation, Jim. Interesting. Well, let's talk about DRI, uh, Matt. Uh, you know, DRI is described as sort of a think tank for defense counsel, and uh, tell our audience more about it. I think you're calling yourself the voice of the defense bar. Give us some perspective on that. Sure. Thanks. Um, DRI has recently celebrated its 50th anniversary. Uh, that went by last year. I was fortunate enough to be the 49th president of DRI. It originally started out as the Defense Research Institute. And as the name, um, that formal name would connote, it was a think tank. It was designed to look at the big issues and to educate the lawyers. Um, the organization has changed its name, um, not formally, but to be called DRI, the voice of the defense bar, and frankly, because a lot of us kept getting asked, you know, what missile system did we design? <laughs> right, <laughs> what, exactly. what submarine sonar system did we work on? Because we're defense research. But um, in ser all seriousness, what DRI does now is provide the premier source of education for civil defense lawyers in the country. And in fact, the, the education is so good that our programs are copied like almost you know, verbatim on the agenda by competitors. Mm -hmm. um, also, you'll see a lot of plaintiffs showing up, plaintiffs' lawyers showing up above our programs. They're not closed shops. They're not only for the defense lawyers, but the top experts in the country, the top legal thinkers in the country are showing up on these programs and people want to come and find out what's going on. Um, some other great things that DRI has been doing of late are we've been very active with the federal civil rules reform efforts that are going on. I personally have testified in front of the Federal Civil Rules Advisory Committee in Washington, D.C. on some issues that involved changes on discovery rules and summary judgment. Um, we've had people testify all across the country on that. Mm -hmm. We have a very large library of legal resources in both print and electronic format um, that are available to our members. And some of that work is actually right out there on the web for everybody because DRI is a nonprofit organization and part of our mission is to educate and promote and ensure fairness in the civil legal system. And the more information we can get out to the public, generally the better off that's going to be. Uh, finally, two things that are, are pretty cool about what DRI has been doing lately is we have a very active um, program of filing amicus briefs at the U.S. Supreme Court and at some state courts, state Supreme Courts or courts of last resort in the state system. These briefs uh, focus on um, pretty discrete issues that are of great interest and importance to the civil justice system. And when we say civil justice, it's really the fairness of the civil justice system. We also have recently um, developed uh, the Center for Law and Public Policy, which is inside of DRI. And that organization is identifying major issues that are affecting civil justice. It might be uh, jury reform. It could be criticism of the judiciary. It could be a variety of different topics. And in fact, we just undertook a, a large national poll that I wish I could tell you the results of now, but it's sort of embargoed for us right now. But you will certainly see a lot of press on it. And perhaps on another regular radio, we can come back and talk about the trends that were identified 
in civil litigation mm-hmm. in that survey. But that's uh, some really exciting things that DRI is doing. That does sound interesting. Just for our audience's sake, give us an example. Uh, you mentioned DRI trying to change some of the federal discovery rules or some of those other federal rules of procedure that would provide maybe more fairness in the system. Have Where does it go from your analysis? Does it Does it where does it find itself into the actual change? How does that work? Well, what's ha- what's happening is just take for example electronic discovery. Yes. Um, everybody thought that you know once you can get your fingers into the computers, it's going to be very easy to produce documents and to find these missing things that used to be stored in warehouses across the country. Now they're on computer chips, all in one location. That really. Um, was a Pandora's box. And there are a whole series of cases that came out of the Southern District of New York, uh, the Zubalak or Zubalaki cases, that really turned that sort of electronic discovery concept on its head and created a host of problems for both the courts and plaintiffs and defense lawyers and clients. So what DRI has been actively involved in through another organization called the Lawyers for Civil Justice, is to develop more realistic and user-friendly rules for electronic discovery. The ultimate goal is to do two things. One, make it more efficient and realistic so that you're not spending millions of dollars on electronic discovery, but rather it's more focused on what you actually are going to need for the case. And also to keep the cost down. Unfortunately, and I say this as a defense lawyer, unfortunately, some plaintiffs may not decide to bring a very meritorious case because they can't afford the electronic discovery cost that's going to be involved. Similarly, many defendants may decide to settle a case that they should otherwise defend all the way to jury trial because the cost of discovery, electronic discovery, is so high. So what DRI has done is trying to develop ways with the Federal Rules Advisory Committee to level the playing fields. We've also taken some positions on summary judgment standards and class action reform, but the um, the one that I spent some time looking at was the electronic discovery. Terrific. No, that's a good explanation. Thanks. It uh, sounds like you've hit on quite a few of the key issues for defense counsel and litigation today, Matt. Are, are there any others? Um. Yeah, I think that, you know, as our, I will give you a, a brief preview that uh, the survey has revealed that there is um, bias against corporations in favor of plaintiffs in several categories of civil litigation. Um, not because of merits, because just bias, little guy versus big corporation. I think that's an issue that defense lawyers always contend with is how to personalize your client and and try to dispel that bias. Another issue that's confronting everyone is the lack of jury trials, particularly in the civil in the civil side. Criminal cases obviously have a constitutional right to prompt and speedy jury trial. Um, so there's really been no issue there, though, except for finding some judges in various states who, because of underfunding of courthouses. But generally, Across the country, civil jury trials are down. The ABA has looked at this. The Association of Justice has looked at this. ABODA has looked at this. And everyone's sort of been wringing their hands to figure out why cases aren't going to juries. 
I know for Ringler, that's probably good. That means that a lot of folks are settling their cases and can certainly take advantage of the services Ringler offers to get very effective settlements. But for creating a body of law and to create um, experience, I think civil jury trials are, are incredibly important to have. I have had, fortunately, five jury trials since the beginning of June. I was scheduled to have one starting in a week and a half, and that just got bumped out to December. So I am the exception to the rule nationally, but that is one thing that's that's very concerning to the defense bar is the lack of jury trials. Well, it's interesting Interesting you raise that, uh, but, but be assured that we in structured settlements do, do quite a few post-verdict structured settlements as well. So it's well, that, that's uh, <laughs> interesting. Tell me how tell me how that works. Is that because the verdict comes in and then well, what happens appeal? is what happens is the verdict comes in and once a notice of appeal is filed to put the case back into controversy, quote unquote, then you can uh, you can effectuate a structured settlement under the tax laws and still be permitted to get tax free income. Oh, so great. as okay. long as the controversy exists. So uh, once a case goes through the appeal necessarily and, and, and gets a final judgment, uh, then there's a preclusion. But there's a long time in between where uh, parties can sit down after an adverse verdict for one of them and uh, create a, a settlement, create something with a structure that might benefit all parties. Oh, great. Okay. Well, Matt, em- employment litigation – that must be a big area of concern for companies today. That seems to be a hot-button area. Yeah, it, it is. Absolutely, Larry. Um, I do employment work as well. i um, got several cases open right now on it. I think where you're seeing that um, is the regulations that, that came down from Congress as part of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Title VII-type claims mm-hmm. uh, for gender discrimination, um, now sexual orientation discrimination. There are other issues there, sexual harassment. Um, Those are all out there. And wrongful discharge, so you've got a bad motive to terminate people. In a down economy, which unfortunately we've all experienced for the last three to four years, Mm -hmm. um, companies are letting people go. And people are looking for other explanations than the economy. And so that has driven um, employment litigation to some extent. Also, in, in fairness, there are people who are jerks in the workforce, yeah. in the workplace, and they do things that they shouldn't do. Um, so that's always going to be out there. Um, interesting, I mentioned before electronic discovery, the, the big electronic discovery cases, the Zubalaki cases, arose in the employment law context. Um, because people were sending offensive emails back and forth. Mm-hmm. So companies yeah. spend a lot of time on HR. They spend a lot of time on employee safety. Um, the state agencies are aggressive in protecting employee rights. It is a high priority at the DOJ on the national level. So companies will always um, be spending time monitoring their employment practices, to try to keep them in compliance and out of lawsuits, but no doubt. I fear that it's a uh, shoveling against the tide sometimes. No doubt. Well, Matt, what's uh, what's the role of settlement, generally speaking, in the minds of defense counsel? Well, you know, when, and I was on a call yesterday about this. Um, settlement should always be an option that's on the table, um, in large part because 
it allows you to buy out risk. So a defense lawyer throughout the course of the case, and obviously not the minute it comes in the door, but fairly soon after, should be beginning to assess risk. What are the damages? What's the likelihood of success? Likelihood of adverse verdict? Highs, lows, those sorts of things. And be advising their client of the right reserves or areas to start thinking about on settlement. To have a someone who's a pure gunslinger and say, we're going to trial immediately is not doing their client any service. Um, the lawyer's objective should be to resolve the matter in the manner that is the most expeditious, cost-effective, and appropriate for the client. Um, in doing so, you, you would consider not only the dollars, but you'd be looking at issues such as confidentiality, um, statements to the press, manners to withdraw lawsuits and the language that'll go onto the docket. But I'd hate to hear that lawyers aren't talking to their clients about settlement very early on in the case. And then on how to do the settlement, it depends on the type of case. It could be a straight up cash payment. Um, but on a lot of the cases I've been handling, um, the structure work that Ringler does is, is very important mm. to how to get the case solved in the best way for the plaintiff. Um, the dollars out the door for the defendant will end up being the same. But if it's properly structured or presented, it will be more palatable and probably achieve the result that the defendant wants well, for the same cost. I think yeah, that's absolutely correct. And uh, we're always thinking about that, obviously, from our perspective. But it's good to hear that someone like yourself is also thinking in that same general uh, vein. I can also tell you that the courts are very um, engaged in trying to get cases settled. New Hampshire has mandatory mediation at the state court level, and at the federal court level, um, if you, you better have a good reason why you're not going to try mediation, because the federal judges will certainly be asking you about that <laughs> um, all the way through the trial. I tried a case this summer, and we two cases this summer settled in the middle of trial, because the judge pulled us in and, and told the plaintiffs, this is where I see it going. Do you want to think about settlement? Yeah, and you know, and you know, judges have uh, their own workload that to, to concern themselves with as well. So they'd like to obviously resolve as many of those cases as they can to move on to the next one. That's true because a settlement is is they say two things. They say one, if both parties are upset at a settlement, it was a good settlement. But I also like to say if both parties are happy, it was a good settlement. There you go. Well, let's take a quick break right now and be back in a minute with our special guest, Attorney Matt Cairns from Concord, New Hampshire. We'll be right back. There's a Ringler Associate in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experience than a Ringler Associate. Check out our new website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for claimants, legal professionals, and claims personnel, and to find the Ringler Associate nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best financial plan. You can count on Ringler Associates to structure a customized plan that meets the needs of you and your family for the future. Visit RinglerAssociates.com to learn more. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod and listen on the run? Just go to iTunes and subscribe. It's free. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? 
I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Think you might like to have us create your own podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com? Go to the website and send us an email. Or just give us a call at 781-551-9960. It's the best move you'll make in legal marketing. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter. LinkedIn, too. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm joined here today by my co-host, Jim Early, and with attorney Matt Cairns, both from the great state of New Hampshire. Hey, uh, Matt, in uh, in the Washington Post, you debated the Walmart v. Dukes case, uh, Supreme Court case. It had to do with discrimination against female workers. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of the misconceptions uh, uh, about the outcome of that case as a class action? Sure. Um, first of all, that was that case alone. I mean, last year was one of the biggest class action years in the Supreme Court in history, the 2011 term. And DRI ran a full day and a half program on it. So obviously we could go on at great length. But if I was going to say the one misconception about that case is that the plaintiffs, the class members in that case, didn't get thrown out the door. They were allowed to proceed forward as individuals. The, the issue just was that it was not appropriate for a class. They still could go ahead on their individual lawsuits. They just um, so their their day in court was not lost. They just have to do it individually, and not as a group. That's the that's what most people did not get out of that case. I agree. A lot of people are misinformed about a lot of these cases because the headlines come. And then people move on to something else, and they don't hear the uh, the rest of the story, as they say. Well, Matt, if you had a crystal ball, what would you say lies ahead in the in the legal field from the perspective of of the defense? What are you seeing out there? Well, what I see is just an increasing use of technology um, to benefit clients and lawyers um, from apps on your iPad that allow you to summarize depositions or to present materials at trial more efficiently, um, that's going to change the way law is practiced. Uh, Since I've been doing it for 26 years, um, we went from shiny fax paper now to email (laughs) and to apps on iPhones. And that's just me. Um, I've got partners who had the computer taken out of their office because they thought it was only good for putting their coffee cup on it. And then the IT person said, don't do that. And they said, we'll take it away because that's the only thing I use it for. So I think technology will always be an evolving area for defense counsel. I think um, the regulations that are coming out of Congress um, will continue to create jobs for defense lawyers as there's a criminalization or creation creation of torts claims for regulated industries. We're always going to be seeing that. And I think the biggest thing you're going to see is there's going to be a compression on lawyers. Uh, There are a lot of lawyers out there. A lot of people without jobs, a lot of people have lost jobs. So that's going to be affecting the legal community altogether. But what I'd like to see is more people recognizing that being a defense lawyer is a great career. Uh, It's not as flashy as being a plaintiff's lawyer or a prosecutor, but it's good, solid uh, work. It's intellectual and it's fun. 
it's fun working for and helping out clients that way. You know, one of the issues you raised about the compression of lawyers, uh, what we're seeing is uh, a lot of the insurance carriers, the claim departments are are uh, able to hire a, a much more talented group of defense lawyers who are opting out of the of the legal profession and moving into the claim profession. So it's very interesting oh, sure. to see where that's Absolutely. going. Absolutely. And finally, one other point uh, on the technology uh, I'd like to get your comment on is we've seen a lot of cases where cases have actually turned on looking at the plaintiff's Facebook page, for example, and seeing the guy with the bad arm all of a sudden throwing footballs in the backyard and all kinds of other comments. What, what, what do you think the social networking or the social media uh, is, is going to be doing to, you know, just discovery? Uh, it is, I believe it would be malpractice for any plaintiff's lawyer or defense lawyer not to look at, to try to look at Facebook pages or MySpace pages or Twitter to see what parties are doing in cases. Um, you're absolutely right, Larry. They can turn cases on a dime, um, depending on what's out there. And there are seminars popping up all over the place on how to do that and, and how to do it. There are some serious ethical issues that lawyers have to be aware of when they're using social media or they're exploring social media. But it's here to stay. It's the it's the new way to do surveillance. You know, it's you a, I was going to say the guy in the bush, yeah, in the bushes exactly. with a camera. Now you've got the paralegal in the office with a computer. Exactly. Um, yeah. You've exactly. got to be it's aware. It's amazing. Of it. It's ama- it, it must be very frustrating for some plaintiff attorneys to turn around and see some of the stuff that their clients have posted during or pre litigation. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's sub rosa, you know, on their own. It's it's ridiculous. It's a little bit interesting to see how. Uh, some people just aren't as bright as you think, uh, as we ho- all hope they would be. Exactly. Finally, let's close on this, uh, back to DRI. We know there are a lot of resources out there that defense lawyers make use of. Um, tell us about For the Defense, which is the DRI publication, uh, the monthly magazine that, that you folks put out. Yeah. Uh, yeah DRI, that, For the Defense, is the oldest and largest circulating magazine dedicated to issues for defense lawyers. The magazine um, used to hit the chambers of every judge in the country, um, free of charge. Uh, Now we put it out quarterly. We do a selected set of articles um, for the judges to keep them abreast of what's going on. The magazine typically has focused issues. For example, um, the commercial litigation issue just came out fairly recently. Uh, Products liability, I think, was this spring. So you can find some top-notch scholarship and cutting-edge articles in the magazine. Those are also all available online uh, 30 to 60 days after the hard copy comes in. So that's out there as well. So that's, I think, incredibly important. Um, Those articles are also shared among the defense lawyers via LinkedIn. DRI has the largest um, LinkedIn professional network of any legal organization in the world. On LinkedIn, mm-hmm. so we really take take great pride in this level of scholarship um, that our magazine puts out and the resources that it provides to any lawyer who's looking to try a case or any clerk who's looking to research the law. Well, you should be proud of that. And uh, with that, let's close and uh, tell our audience where they can get in touch with you and when the, where they can access some of this information on DRI that you've mentioned. Sure. Um, to reach me, you can call me on my uh, direct line, which is 603-545-3622. 
Uh, my cell phone is New Han- is 603-496-0864. And to get me by email, it's Cairns, C-A-I-R-N-S, at G-C-G-Law. That's Gallagher, Callahan, Gartrell, initials, gcglaw.com. And what, and about, DRI, what about DRI? Yeah, for DRI, um, two places you want to go look. You want to go look at DRI.org and DRIToday.org. Uh, those are the two top websites for DRI. Um, I'm sure you'll be both amazed and pleased to steer yourself over there. <laughs> well, I appreciate that very much. And Jim, how would someone get a hold of you? Larry, my direct number is area code 603-719-1010, 603-719-1010. Uh, like you, I'm available uh, by a link through our website, www.ringlerassociates.com, as our all uh, 70 of our offices, and uh, my email is jearly at ringlerassociates.com. Well, thanks, Jim. And uh, yeah, as Jim said, all Ringler Associates, ringlerassociates.com. That's the website, and it's uh, it's got a lot of information there on a lot of different issues. I think if you go there, you'll uh, poke around. You'll find uh, some very interesting facts about structured settlements and uh, about settlements in general and defense lawyers, too. Maybe there's even something there about DRI. Uh, so I want to thank you, Matt, for uh, joining us today and imparting uh, that information about DRI. It's been around for a long time. We've known it forever. Uh, and we won't even ask you what uh, missile defense system it stands for. That's, <laughs> That's good, because I don't know. There you go. And Jim, thank you for your help. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Matt. All right, Jim and Larry, have a great day. Thanks. And everyone else out there, go out and have a great day as well. Thanks. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Tuck Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio, celebrating its seventh year on Legal Talk Network with over a million listeners. Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements. Visit ringlerassociates.com today.